Shalom Aleichem. We are exploring the Sicha of Shlach, Chilik Yudches, volume 18, Sicha number four. So the discussion is Moshe Moses is imploring Hashem to forgive the Jewish people for the sin of the spies. And one of his arguments is, And now may the name of Adnai of God be made great. On a simple level, it's translated that uh, Hashem, you'll look good if you save the Jewish people. If you wipe them out, you'll look terrible. You saved them, you made miracles, and then suddenly you wipe them out, everybody's going to say that you, you're not going to look good. But you did it because you were afraid of the 31 kings and you couldn't do it, or whatever. So there are many interpretations, obviously, on the pshat level. Hashem will be made great. But that's what the verse says. The name of Adnai should be made great. I'm obviously purposefully not pronouncing the name correctly, which would be uh, uh, in vain. Says the Zohar on this verse, quote, it's on your screen. Israel, the Jewish people, are special from among the nations. His desire is in them. They are his nickname. And in them does he take pride. That's the Zohar. The Rebbe asks five questions. There's some more, but I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into five. The first thing is, why is Moshe using the reference of Adnai and not Hashem? He's trying to evoke mercy. Hashem is the name of mercy and compassion. It's also the name of Hashem, the essential name of Hashem, whereas Adnai represents, uh, it's closer to judgment. It's God as master, which is a reference to, to a master and a judge. And if you're trying to get compassion, why would you employ that name? Question two, why is this verse and this prayer of Moshe specifically here, not by the golden calf, where there too Moshe prayed to Hashem and, uh, and used all kinds of arguments why he should spare the Jewish people? Why is this specifically here? It's not over there. Over there, Moshe says all kinds of other arguments. In this case, he evokes this particular prayer. I want the name of Adnai be made great, specifically by the golden calf. What, what, what's the connection? Then, question three, why do we say that, you know, the Zohar says that what, that the Jewish people are greater from among the nations? Really? That's their compliment. The Jewish people are in a totally different league. You might say, if I'm telling my kid, I want you to know that uh, I really like you because you're better than the neighbor. It's a terrible thing. That's why you like me because I'm better than the neighbor? Don't you like me because I'm your child? Isn't there a love here that's totally above and beyond and there's no contest? You like me, that I'm, I'm, my, I'm competing for your love, but I'm, I'm, I'm edging them out? The Jews are better than the nations? The Jews are precede creation. The Torah and the Jewish people, the Neshama Yisrael, the souls of the Jewish people, precede creation, the purpose of creation. I mean, it's a whole different thing. No, the Zohar says they're good compared to the nations. They're better than the nations. You know the joke, the guy says, how's your wife? Compared to who? <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're doing, compared to who? And the same thing is, the other three things. This is question number four. Why do we give these three compliments? Hashem desires the Jews, there is nickname, there is pride. Why don't we use a much more important compliment, a much higher level compliment, as the verse says, you are children to God. All these compliments are utilitarian. You're good, I'm proud of you. You make me look good, you're my nickname. I desire you, which means you know, you're doing the right things. All these things uh, are, are not the greatest compliment. It would be far greater to say Israel is greater because there is children. Finally, question number five, which to me is the biggest question in the whole sikha. What is the connection between the Zohar and the verse upon which the Zohar is commenting? The verse is complimenting God. The Zohar is complimenting the Jewish people. What's the connection? 
These are the Rebbe's questions in short. And the Rebbe answers, what's the sin of the spies? How does it make sense to us that the Jewish people who saw all the miracles suddenly lost faith that Hashem can't take into the land of Israel? It doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't just Egyptian converts. It wasn't just your average Jew. It were the 10 leaders. The 12 spies were the leaders of Jewish people, including the 10 that failed miserably. These were great tzaddikim, so to speak, before the mission began. And these high-level Jews made this mistake. We all know there's much in commentary and Hasidus about this. So what's, but what's the basic interpretation? How do they make such a mistake that they suddenly doubted God's ability and they said so? You know, in Hasidus, is all kind of interpretations that really they, they wanted to stay in a miraculous environment to serve Hashem. But on a simple reading of the verse, which you cannot remove it from the pshat, from the simple level, they said, Hashem can't do it. We're afraid. He won't be able to win those giants. How did they suddenly lose heart when he saw the splitting of the sea, the 10 plagues, the manna from heaven, the clothing is, is being laundered. They're, they're in an environment of HVAC. Everything is perfect temperature. They just won the war of Amalek, which didn't make any sense, miraculously. Suddenly they're losing heart. What, what's going on? There has to be some rationale. Says that ever their mistake was. Yes, they believe that Hashem can do anything he wants. Hashem can make any miracle. But they also believe and knew that Hashem also created nature. And Hashem has respect for the laws of nature. And therefore, he won't violate them. And once the Jewish people leave the desert and go into the natural land, as they were themselves told, until now you're eating bread from heaven. But soon you're going to eat bread from the earth and you're going to have to do things, plow the field and work it. You're going to become a natural people. Suddenly, the laws of nature take hold. And here, so to speak, Hashem can't intervene. He's not going to break his own system. He can't. He created that system. And the principle is that God does not make miracles in vain. A further principle is that one may not rely on miracles. We're supposed to live within nature. And Hashem made that system and within nature. He's not in control really to break it. It runs its course. Hashem blesses us and he helps us. And he guides us. You know, but nevertheless, nature is nature. And Hashem himself cannot undo it and cannot override it. So as I wrap at the bottom of the screen, the mistake of the spies, the failure to recognize God's miraculous power within nature. Of course, you can do miracles. And of course, you created nature. But to combine the two, that even as we operate within nature, things can be miraculous. This, they couldn't fit into their heads. It seemed contradictory. And by the same token, they also were entirely erroneous the way they looked at the Jewish people themselves, which is why they suddenly lost their pride as a Jewish people. They know they're Amskula, they're God's chosen nation, etc., etc. They were given the Torah, they were given all the miracles. And suddenly they're afraid, like Kachagovim, they're like grasshoppers in the eyes of the Gentiles. Because here, too, they made the same mistake. Jews are a special nation, it's true. In heaven, in the desert, maybe, in a holy environment. But in real life, things run its own course. And therefore, they don't stand a chance. In a natural environment, there's nothing special about them. And they are subject, God forbid, to the rules of nature, and whatever happens, happens. And therefore, they said, we're not doing this. This is not going to work. Says the Rebbe that Moshe Rabbeinu, to rectify this, says to Hashem, I want the name of Adnai to be made great. Let's go down all five questions. Why does he refer to that name? The name Adnai specifically means the way God is master of nature. We want, Moshe says, give the Yid another chance. Let them go into the land. Let them fix this mistake. And we will engrandize the name Adnai. Translation, we will show that the name Adnai, God is a master of the world. God is the ruler and creator of nature. 
is made great, is really beyond nature. That would be the rectification of this sin where they cut Adnai down to size. Of course, they knew Hashem, he's beyond. But Adnai, God, the way he acts as creator of nature, he's now, so to speak, subject to his own laws. No, he don't know Adnai. Adnai is great and grand and beyond and unlimited. Even within nature, it's totally miraculous. He can do, do what he wants. You know, the, uh, the, the Talmudic phrase that comes to mind is the one who commanded oil to burn will command vinegar to burn. It's nature. You're burning the oil. But if he wants the vinegar will burn. Within nature, he absolutely is not bound by it. And therefore, he evokes the name Adnai. And therefore, question two, this verse and prayer is used here, not by the golden calf, because that wasn't the problem of the golden calf. Here, the issue was that they made this mistake and, and uh, underestimated or misunderstood that even when Hashem goes in nature, uh, he's not limited by it. And that's why this verse, in grandizing, so to speak, the name Adnai, is evoked here. This is the place for it. It's brilliant. It gives it a whole different meaning of what's happening in the passage. And then we come to the Zayar, therefore. Why compare the Jewish people to other nations, even though they're on a different level? As I said before, that, you know, you, you tell your child that, you know, you, you're better than the neighbor. When the child says, what do you mean? I'm your kid. I sh I, I, there should be no contest. The answer is it's true on the soul level and on the essence of a yid and everything else. Of course, we're, we're on a different level. But that's not the conversation here. That wasn't the sin. The sin of the Jewish people was that they misunderstood that when the Jews are a nation among nations, when they seem to be comparable to other nations, they're living a human natural existence and they're, they're just being people, not being Jews, so to speak. Here, they're, they're on equal footings. And therefore the fear set in, says Hashem, says the Zohar, no, the Jews are selected and special and unique amongst the nations, even on the level where they are, so to speak, human beings like the nations, there too. They're on a whole different level, which is exactly the point of this uh, prayer, this endeavor of Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's why he lists these three things. In them is his desire, in them they are in his nickname, and in them does he take pride. All three are things that are not unique to the Jewish people. You might say all the nations, by, that talk, by the same token, actually, all of creation fit into all these three. Hashem desires everything. There's a language that God didn't create anything for naught. Hashem's desire is in everything. Hashem's nickname, what does a nickname mean? Something that's a reference to Hashem and that's a, an expression of Hashem's greatness. Everything in creation. Hashem's pride, the language is that uh, uh, everything that God created, it's all his glory. And Hashem's pride is in everything of creation. So these are all things that, so to speak, relate and refer to every nation and everything in the world. And yet, on that level, on those levels, the Zohar says, still, no, his true desire is in the Jewish people. His true nickname of them, his true pride is them. Specifically, compliments, so to speak, that can be applicable to all of creation, though in that area where, so to speak, there's a contest between the Jew and the rest of creation, there too the Jew shines off the charts Meaning to say, don't be afraid to go into the land and be in nature and be among the nations and be in the world. In the world, a Jew is different. In nature, Hashem is still totally not subject to nature. Just to zoom in for a second, 
on these three things because the Rebbe takes it apart even further. His desire is in them. Of course, the statement is that Hashem wants everything. He created everything in the world. Nothing is for naught. However, there's something called Ratzim Primi, the real deep desire. There are things in life that we desire as a means to an end. And then there are things that are the end in itself. For example, I want to have a job, but there's a reason for the job, so I can make money. I want to make money so I can take care of my family. So it's not really my deepest desire, and if I can accomplish this without the job and without the money, maybe I wouldn't need it. Whereas my family, that is not a because. That is the because, and that is the Jewish people. And them is his desire. He wants everything, but that's the, that's the deeper desire, the desire which is without a, a, a because. A nickname, the Rebbe explains this beautifully. What is a nickname? A nickname is on one hand a reference to someone. On the other hand, that someone is concealed. You're not really referring to them by name. And that is a good reference to the Jewish people. Not when they're sitting and davening and learning. They're not his nickname. Then they're just his glowing expression. A yid is a chilek the neshama. is literally a virtual part of Hashem. And that yid is learning and davening and doing holy things. It's a nickname. It's Hashem's name. The language is Shem Hashem Nikra Hashem's name is upon you when you do Tehidah Mitzvahs. A nickname is when a Yid is in physicality. He's going about his business, he's making a living, he's, he's, he's eating and drinking, he's living human life. And there, so to speak, you don't see the difference in a Yid and an Jew. And here we say, no, he is Hashem's nickname. It's concealed, that's what her nickname is, but it's a total reference to Hashem. And here the Rebbe tells a beautiful Siddiq story with a big Chassid of the Rebbe Rasha, the fifth Rebbe, who, who, who didn't understand why the Rebbe Rasha had such praise for the Anoshim Pshutim, for the simpletons, simple Jews, the simple Chassidim, and he loved them and he praised them. And this Chassid couldn't understand, and he said to the Rebbe Rasha in Yiddish, Ich zenit, I don't see it. I don't see what you're making a big deal about them. They're, they're plain people. So later, the Rebbe Rasha asked him to show him some of his diamonds. He was a diamond merchant at a very high level. Show me some of your wares. And he showed off everything. And he showed the Rebbe a particular diamond. He said, this diamond is pili plaim. It's beyond. It's, it's extraordinary. And the Rebbe Rashab said, ich zenit. I don't see it. So the Chassid said to the Rebbe, it's hard to imagine that the Chassid would say this, but I guess he had that relationship. He said, the Rebbe, to understand diamonds, you got to be a maven. So the Rebbe said, a yid is pili plaim. He evoked the same words, extraordinary. But to understand the virtue of a yid, you have to be a maven. And the Rebbe is evoking this story to point out that when you see a Yid, it looks like a simple Jew. Or a Yid not in the, the time of activities of, of Tere Mitzvahs, where the Yid obviously is living out the expressions of the Neshama. They're just being human. It looks simple. I don't see anything. Is that it? And here, one needs to be a maven to see what's really going on and see the virtue of a Yid, which is where it's applicable, the language of a nickname that you don't see Hashem directly, but the Zayar says, this is a real reference to Hashem. It's his nickname. And here too, one might say that the whole world is Hashem's nickname. It's all of Hashem's creation. The world is, is also Hashem's nickname. Translation, it's, it's a hidden form of Hashem's expression. However, in the world, it's different. Hashem created it. It's, a, it's one of his creations. Whereas in the Yid, with the Jewish people, they come from his thought, they, their expression of his of Hashem's will, Hashem's soul, Hashem's breath, it's a higher level. And therefore, 
says the Zohar, no. While the whole world can be referred to as his nickname, but they are his true nickname. Again, the same theme. But even within the world, they're beyond the world. They're on different level. And the same thing is in them, he takes pride. The Rebbe explains, why does Hashem take pride in the world? Because Hashem's purpose is the world. He wants a home in the lowest world. And that's his pride. That's his purpose. That's his glory. And we say that that's the Jewish people. Here too, we can say it universally. The language is whatever he created. It's all for his glory. Every single molecule of creation is an expression of Hashem's glory. And it's all part of the plan of it's all the home of Hashem in the lowest world because it's part of the lowest world. However, we say no. In them does he take pride. They are the purpose. The analogy is that the, the king makes a home. And and there's a home, and there's a kingdom, and there's a palace, and there's a city, and there's all these glorifying things. But the purpose of all that is so that the king can be there with the queen and with the family. Ultimately, what is the real purpose, the queen and the family? Yes, there's a whole world, the whole world is here for Hashem's purpose, but ultimately why the real is in the Jewish people, and that's where the real pride is. Again, so this is written, beautifully brought out, how this verse and this Zayar, oh, so this answers question uh, number five. This answers question number four, why these virtues and not the virtue that the Jewish people are God's children. God's children is a whole different thing. The, the, the neshama is part of Hashem. There's no contest. The whole idea is that the Jews, as they seem to be on the same level, so to speak, as the non-Jew, the human beings. Don't tell me about the neshama is part of Hashem. On the human level, so to speak right here on earth. And uh, we're measuring virtues. Here too, they outshine completely, uh, which is what the, side, the spies needed to rectify. Similarly, question five, what's the connection of the Zayda's interpretation to the verse? The verse, as we said in the question, points to Hashem's greatness and the Zohar is pointing to the Jewish people's greatness because the two sides are the same coin. We're not just saying Hashem is great and the Jews are great. We're saying Hashem specifically, Adnai, the way he leads and is involved in nature, he remains beyond, and he can break nature at will, even as nature stands. And similarly, the Jewish people, even as they are within the nations and they are within the physicality of the world, which are all special and all expressions of Hashem, they are the true expression of Hashem. It's a very deep sikh and a very deep message. I'm just giving a very general overview, but a very practical takeaway of this can be that it's one thing to have trust in Hashem when you're looking for a miracle. The test and the challenge of this sikh is that a yid is not supposed to rely on miracles. He's supposed to live within nature. So if God forbid there's a question, there's a medical issue, he goes to the doctor and he goes to the best doctor and he gets double opinions which we know that Rebbe would tell people to do. The question is, when he goes to the doctor, is the doctor's report the final word and he loses heart that Hashem can't in one second turn the whole thing around? Or no, does he trust totally in Hashem? And this is a big challenge because it's a contradiction in terms. If you're relying on the doctor, you're going to the doctor because you believe that Hashem made a system of nature and Torah says, go to the doctor. At the same time, he's saying, no, I'm, I know that Hashem is running the show and things could turn on a dime. Think good, it will be good. How is that possible? Make up your mind. Is it Hashem or is it the doctor, which is, which is charged by God to, to heal? 
And clearly Hashem did that. He created the nature. And the challenge of this sicha is, go to the doctor, live within the realm of nature, and know that the doctor is Hashem's messenger to the extent that the doctor can only heal. He can't predict, God forbid, that failure. The doctor is a messenger of Hashem and they go through that nature, but Hashem is still running the show to the extent that things can be completely contrary to the rules of the medical condition, the medical charts and reports. Translate that in any other area, you know, financial crisis, you're sitting with your accountant to face a legal problem, you're sitting with a lawyer, whatever it is. A yid goes and does the natural thing because that's what Teda says. We don't just sit and daven and expect mana from heaven. That was what we did in the desert. No, we're supposed to make natural means. And at the same time, as we make the kalim, the vessels through nature, we know that we're not subjugated by them at all. And Hashem is running the show in the same miraculous way, potentially, as before we were told to go to the doctor or to the lawyer or to the accountant, etc. Really totally removed without any limitation. Or in the language of the Talmud, that a yid is mamin b'chaya hoylamin, he trusts in Hashem, and then he plants the field, which again is a contradiction. Either trust in Hashem and expect one from heaven, or plant the field. I know that Hashem gave you the ability to plant, and He created nature, you'll even make a bracha. But why are you planting the field if you're trusting in Hashem, or if you're, or why are you leaning on Hashem if you're planting the field? But that's the Jewish condition. It's a little bit of a contradiction, but that is the Jewish condition. Of course, Hashem can make miracles. And of course, Hashem made nature and runs it. But the higher level, and the real truth is that even within nature, which Hashem runs, he is completely remains miraculous. A yid is not subjugated under nature at all. And at any moment, Hashem can make miracles as great as it was in the desert. And a yid lives with that faith. Obviously, it's a very high level that's being expected of us. But this is what the Sikha is asking us to embrace.